It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 208, The Prophet Ezekiel's Temple Experiences. In the next chapters of the book of Ezekiel, we get an eyewitness account of the worship of the king and the elders of Israel. Let's start by stating they have turned the temple of God into idol worship center. And what was once a church, (laughs) a temple to God, is now like a a hedonistic center with um, a huge idol in the center of it. And there appears to be a large idol of worship in the Holy of Holies, and it's worshipped daily by these elders. For clarity, most of the prophetic experiences take place over the next five years, but we're grouping them here because other messages are coming forth from other prophets, and, and it kind of fits into this timeline, right, or this show well right here. So these are going to be over the next five years of Ezekiel's life. Ezekiel 8. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day, while I was sitting in my house and the elders of Judah were sitting before me, the hand of the sovereign Lord came on me there. I looked and I saw a figure like that of a man. From what appeared to be his waist down, he would look like fire, and there up his appearance was bright as glowing metal. He stretched out what looked like a hand and took me by the hair of my head. The Spirit lifted me up between heaven and earth, and in visions of God he took me to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the north gate of the inner court, where the idol that provokes jealousy stood. And there before me was the glory of the God of Israel, as in the vision I had seen in the plain. And then he said to me, Son of man, look towards the north. And so I looked, and in the entrance north of the gate of the altar I saw this idol of jealousy. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing, the utter detestable things the Israelites are doing here, things that will drive me far from my sanctuary? But you will see things that are even more detestable. Then he brought me to the entrance to the court, and I looked and saw a hole in the wall. And he said to me, Son of man, now dig into the wall. So I dug into the wall and saw a doorway there. And he said to me, Go in and see the wicked and detestable things they are doing here. So I went in and looked and saw and portrayed portrayed all over the walls of all kinds of crawling things and unclean animals and all the idols of Israel. And in front of them stood seventy elders of Israel, and and Janahiah, son of Shaphan, was standing among them. He even had a censer in his hand, and a fragrant cloud of incense was rising. So all the elders are worshiping this idol and not the Lord. In flagrant dishonor of the Most High God in his own temple, the elders worshiped another little g-god. This is incredibly sad, and what accelerates judgment, shedding of innocent blood, and defiling the sanctuary, that's what's happening. You want to see places in history where atrocities follow and horrible dismemberment of nations happens? Look for places in history where innocent blood is shed and sanctuaries are defiled. Ezekiel 8:12. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of Israel are doing in the darkness east at the shrine of his own idol? They say the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. Again, he said, you will see them doing things and even more detestable things. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord, and I saw women sitting there mourning the God of Tamas. He said to me, do you see this, son of man? You will see things even more detestable than this. 
He then brought me to the inner court of the house of the Lord. And there at the entrance to the temple, between the portico and the altar, were about twenty-five men. With their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, they were bowing down to the sun in the east. He said to me, Have you seen this son of man? Is it a trivial matter for the people of Judah to do the detestable things they are doing here? Must they also fill the land with violence and continually arouse my anger? Look at them putting the branch to their nose, and therefore I will deal with them in anger. I will not look on them with pity or spare them. Although they shout it in my ears, I will not listen to them. What happens next is almost right out of the book of Revelation. Ezekiel 9. Then I heard him call out in a loud voice, Bring near those who are appointed to execute judgment on the city, each with a weapon in his hand. And I saw six men coming from the direction of the upper gate, whose faces, which faces north, each with a deadly weapon in his hand. With them was a man clothed in linen, who had a writing kit at his side. They came in and stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory of the Lord, of the God of Israel, went up from above the cherubim, where it had been, and moved to the threshold of the temple. Then the Lord called to the man clothed in linen, who had the writing kit at his side, and said, Go through the city of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over the detestable things that are done in it. And as I listened, he said to the others, Follow him through the city, and kill without showing pity or compassion. Slaughter the old men, the young men, and women, mothers, and children, who do not touch anyone, but do not touch anyone who has the mark. Begin at my sanctuary. So they went with the old men who were in front of the temple. Then he said to them, Defile the temple and fill the courts with the slain. Go. So they went out and began killing through the city. While they were killing, I was left alone, and I fell face down, crying out, Alas, sovereign Lord, are you going to destroy the entire remnant of Israel in the outpouring of your wrath on Jerusalem? He answered me, The sin of the people of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great. The land is full of bloodshed, and the city is full of injustice. They say the Lord has forsaken the land the Lord do, does not see. So I will not look with them with pity or spare them, but I will bring down on their own hands what they have done. Then the man in linen with the writing kit at his side brought back word, saying, I have done as you commanded. Wow, that was pretty intense. And, and it's a real flavor of the book of Revelation to come. Now, now think with me, what if you heard this in this day and you lived in this time frame? Your reaction could be all sorts of accusations about God. But in the end, the issue should simply be this. I want to be one of those who's got that mark on the forehead, like the days of the original Passover. When death comes, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be around. I want to be protected in the Father's heart with the blood of the lamb covering my doorpost or the mark on the forehead. That's the cry of any logical heart. That's the correct and natural reaction. Save me, God. And, and this hasn't happened yet. This is Ezekiel receiving a prophecy of, of something to come. So he's issuing these prophecies. Though it's a vision, it looks so real and it sounds so real. He's actually issuing these as warnings. Um, they should be terrified. Next, Ezekiel starts to see the departure of the glory of the Lord from the temple. 
And remember, the temple was built by Solomon, and God always promised to be present at the temple. And and for any major destruction to come to Israel, the glory can't be there. The process involves the creatures and the man with the writing kit again. And notice how as the glory departs, the cherubim receive such coverage, the wheels, and how the glory is slowly exiting Israel. The favor protection is being lifted and the coals of God's fiery judgment are being left to attract an end of an era. See, Isaiah received nothing like this. The departure of God's presence takes me back to the time during Samuel's life when the glory departed, and it was titled the season of Ichabod to some. Now we're headed into the exile period and a horrific destruction to start the age. Ezekiel 10. I looked and saw the likeness of a throne of lapis lazuli above the throne that was over the heads of the cherubim. The Lord said to the man clothed in linen, Go in among the wheels beneath the cherub. Fill your hands with burning coals from among the cherub and scatter them over the city. And as I watched, he went in. Now the cherub, now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the temple when the man went in, and a cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherubim and moved to the threshold of the temple. The cloud filled the temple, and the court was full of the radiance of the glory of the Lord. The sound of the wings of the cherubim could be heard as far away as the outer court, like the voice of the God Almighty when he speaks. And when the Lord commanded the man in linen, Take fire from among the wheels, from among the cherubim, the man went in, stood beside a wheel, and then one of the cherubim reached out his hand to the fire that was among them. He took up some of it and put it in the hands of the man in linen, who took it and went out. Under the wings of the cherubim could be seen what looked like human hands. Next we arrive at Ezekiel 11. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the gate of the house of the Lord that faces east. And there at the entrance of the gate were twenty-five men. The Lord said to me, Son of man, these are the men who are plotting evil and giving wicked advice to the city. They say, Haven't our houses been recently rebuilt? This city is a pot, and we are the meat in it. Therefore prophesy against them, prophesy, son of man. And then the Spirit of the Lord came on me, and he told me to say, This is what the Lord says, that what what you are saying, you leaders in Israel, but I know what is going on through your mind. You have killed many people in this city and filled its streets with the dead. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. The bodies you have thrown there are the meat, and this city is the pot, and I will drive you out of it. You fear the sword, and the sword is what I will bring against you, declares the Lord. I will drive you out of the city and deliver you in the hands of foreigners and inflict punishment on you. You will fall by the sword, and I will execute judgment on you at the borders of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord." This city will not be a pot for you, nor will you be the meat in it. I will execute judgment on you at the borders of Israel, and you will know that I am the Lord, for you have not followed my decrees or kept my laws, but have conformed to the standards of the nations around you. So God commands Ezekiel to prophesy judgment on the corrupted house of Judah. The priesthood worships idols. The king is mentally out there. But check out what happens as he prophesies. And, and remember earlier how I said, he's, Ezekiel seeing the future, 
and almost to confound those that are um, doubting Ezekiel, God actually does something immediate. Now, as I was prophesying, Pelatiah, son of Benaiah, died. And then I fell face down and cried out in a loud voice, Alas, sovereign Lord, will you completely destroy the remnant of Israel? Okay, it's hard to know what to do with this, except to understand the layers and layers of defaulted judgment and justice over the years, which invites such swift judgment. Fortunately, we have a promise that comes from this terrible scene, which helps us. Ezekiel eleven fourteen, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, the people of Jerusalem have said of your fellow exiles and of all the other Israelites, they are far from the Lord. This land was given to us as our possession. Therefore say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Although I sent them far away among the nations and scattered them among the countries, yet for a little while I have been a sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will gather you from the nations and bring you back from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you back the land of Israel again. They will return to it and remove all its vile images and detestable idols, and I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove them from their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people, and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts are devoted to their vile images, detestable idols, I will bring down on their own heads what they have done, declares the Sovereign Lord. Then the cherubim, with the wheels beside them, spread their wings, and the glory of God of Israel was above them. The glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountains east of it. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the exiles in Babylonia, and the vision given by the Spirit of God. Then the vision I had seen went up from me, and I told the exiles everything the Lord had shown me. So the glory of God has left Jerusalem. God is echoing how the exile will end and the land will be resettled. And judgment is only a matter of time now. As the glory departs, and without the glory, what is Israel? What is Judah? What is a people, but just a people doing their best in the flesh without God's presence? Judgment is inescapable at this point. Now would now would be the best time to flee if you lived in Judah. But around 100,000 are still there. Ezekiel 12. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, if a country sins against me by being unfaithful, I will stretch out my hand against it to cut off its food supplies and famine upon it, kill its people and its animals. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they could only save themselves by their righteousness, declares the sovereign Lord. Or if I send wild beasts through that country, and they leave it childless, and it becomes desolate, so that no one could pass through it because of the beast. As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, even if these three men were in it, they could not save their own sons or daughters. They alone would be saved, but the land would be desolate. 
Or if I bring a sword against that country and say, let the sword pass through the land and, and I kill its people and their animals, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, even if these three men were in it, they could not save their own sons and daughters. They alone would be saved. Or if I send a plague into that land and pour out my wrath on it through the bloodshed and killing the people and the animals, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they would neither save their son or daughter. They would only save themselves by their righteousness. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, How much worse will it be if I send against Jerusalem four dreadful judgments, sword, famine, wild beast, and plague, to kill its men and their animals? Yet there will be some survivors, sons and daughters, who will be brought out of it. They will come to you, and when you see their conduct and their actions, you will be consoled regarding the disaster I brought on Jerusalem. Every disaster I have brought on it, you will be consoled when you see their conduct and their actions, for you will know that I have done nothing in it without cause, declares the Sovereign Lord. This is one of the challenges of reading the big book prophets, is the, the, the sheer volume of words of them and their judgments. It's quite unreal, the quantity of the, the judgment words, and, and it just seems to be getting worse and worse. And how much of it just comes forth from these prophets? Does Israel, does Judah get the point? I'm afraid not. It just keeps coming. And I can tell you this is a form of speech to the Lord. I remember in my own life when I considered a decision a hard one for God and an easier one for the flesh, and how he spoke on repeat for weeks until I listened to him and obeyed. I mean, the Lord will send a message and it will... It will have layers of impact and um, layers of intensity and layers of, of, of vivid speech and the, the way these prophets are. I mean, now we have, we, we even know what percentages will die by the sword versus plague and disease and starvation. I mean, the detail continues to come. And at the same time, it's a literary device of repetition via different delivery methods. But in the end, it's God speaking his heart and the extending his mercy, but they're still not listening. Now we receive some historical detail on how it will go down. And check out the precision of the matter. Ezekiel twenty-one eighteen. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, mark out two roads for the sword of the king of Babylon to take, both starting from the same country. Make a signpost where the road branches off to the city. Mark out one road for the sword to come against Rabbah of the Ammonites, and another against Judah and fortify Jerusalem. For the king of Babylon will stop at the fork in the road, at the junction of the two roads to seek an omen. He will cast lots with arrows. He will consult his idols. He will even examine the liver. And in his right hand will come the lot for Jerusalem, where he has set up battering rams to give the command to slaughter, to sound the battle cry, to set battering rams against the gates, to build up a ram, and erect siege works. It will seem like a false omen to those who have sworn allegiance to him, but he will remind them of their guilt and take them captive. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, Because you people have brought to mind your guilt by your open rebellion, revealing your sins and all that you do, because you have done this, you will be taken captive. You profane and wicked prince of Israel, whose day has come, whose time of punishment has reached its climax. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Take off the turban, remove the crown. It will not be as it was. 
The lowly will be exalted, and the exalted will be brought low. A ruin, a ruin. I will make it a ruin. The crown will not be restored until he to whom it rightfully belongs shall come. To him I will give it. A time like no other is coming. Destruction and desolation. I've been thinking about these wonderful messages of judgment, and I just can't end the podcast with another reminder or summary of the message of repent. But but here's a thought. It, it's a simple comparison. Before we get there, here's a question. Why does the Bible have this enormous theme of judgment of sin? I mean, clearly we need a Savior, and, and that's not apparent. I don't know what is. Something we can't escape is the importance of justice in this world. Often justice is neglected, and it's like there's a buildup of the need of justice to occur. And we can't fail to notice the Bible ends with judgment as well. The judgment of the ages is the book of Revelation. It's so horrible at one point, at least half of the world dies. It's a horrific time, and this time in Israel's history fails in comparison to the book of Revelation. Yet justice is a tangible part of God's character. We know there is the judgment seat of Christ, and verdicts are dealt with in the end. And all through life, we make decisions and face our consequences. It's a natural impact of free will. We must judge for ourselves what is right or wrong, and we receive the reward of a good decision or a bad one. We choose life, God's ways, or death, the ways of the flesh. We decide in this life what is best. God decides what is best in eternity based on the decisions we make in this life. The world we live is the testing ground for eternity. What we do in life truly does echo in eternity. What do you choose? As a nation, a people, we decide what course of travel, what destination, what blessing we want to walk in. The decisions impact the journey and the destination. Israel had a roadmap of life or death. In the saves, they chose death, despite the words of the prophets and the seers. We get to choose in this life where we want to go for the entirety of eternity. By the faith we choose in this life, The choice is Jesus, and it leads to fantastic excellence, thrones of lapis lazuli, rainbow thrones, astounding creatures, time travel thrones with wheels within the wheels, or we get to choose the stark, very real opposite, death, miserable starvation, desolations, and the groanings and pain of horrible choices that miss God's heart and denied him. You decide what fruit to eat, what tree you want for eternity, pools of painful, everlasting fire, or to swim in seas of crystal above priceless gems of every color. The willful choice of the short-term pleasures of sin or the eternal pleasure of a wonderful Father and the delight of God himself. The choice is quite simple. Choose life through Jesus, not death. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.